The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He comes to our aid. He helps our weakness. And that term He uses for weakness is kind of what we talked about last week. When he was talking even about our resurrection body in, in Corinthians 15, the seed is sown in weakness, it is raised in glory and power. We are weak. We are frail in the body. We are yet waiting that day when we'll be with him. And the Spirit knows that, and he intercedes on our behalf. He helps. He comes to the aid of our weakness, our frailty. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Spirit's Intercession. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Romans chapter 8, our text is verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We don't uh, know how to pray as we should. The Scripture says, the simplest of tasks. You think about it, you're born into God's family, and you can address God as Father, and you do. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. We don't have a spirit of slavery anymore. We have a spirit of adoption as sons by which we can say, Abba, Father. And yet, we don't know how to pray as we should. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit for every aspect of life. And it's the mark of wisdom and maturity as Christians to not only confess that, but be aware of it uh, continually. Not go off on our own thinking we can launch out and do what we want with our own strength and power and wisdom and might, but to walk in dependence on Him. And this chapter is uniquely the, spirit, the you know, chapter of the Spirit. And I think that if you were to take a poll, it would be in you know, the top few chapters of favorites among Christians for a reason. There is so much here for us, and it is the chapter of the Spirit. And I want to just review because you, you come to chapter 8 and you hate to just take a text out of it because there's so much here. And I want us to see the connection. In fact, it's important that we see the connection But remember, this chapter says, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 2 reminds us that to be in Christ is to be in His Spirit. It is to be uh, indwelt by His Spirit. And just let me review by reading. Look at verse 3 and 4. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh... God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. What the law could never do, 
because of our weakness, i.e., make us right with God and give us that fellowship and harmony with God, that relationship with God. What the law could never do, God did. He sent His Son, verse 3, to die for us, and He sent His Spirit, verse 4, to live in us. The Son of God died for me. The Spirit of God lives in me. And this whole chapter, don't forget what He's after here. The Spirit is the one who subdues my flesh. I can't live the Christian life as I ought to, but He can and does in and through us. The first 13, 14 verses emphasize that. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, verse 14 says, these are sons of God. Then the Holy Spirit witnesses to our sonship. He is the one who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verses 14 through 17, right in there. And then he's the guarantee that God's going to finish what he started. He's the guarantee of our future glory. We are right now waiting eagerly. We're groaning, the Scripture says, awaiting the future glory. But we have, look at verse 23, the first fruits of the Spirit. He guarantees our future glory. I know God's going to finish what He started in my life because the Holy Spirit indwells me and lives within me, and He is called the first fruits of that. And then today we come to this text that tells us that He prays for us. We don't even know how to pray as we should, but He intercedes for us. Now, let me just set the context because this isn't a separate thought. This is a very connected thought. We are waiting eagerly. We're living between the cross of Christ and the coming of Christ. And in this present time, we suffer. We've seen that in verses 18 through 25. And we're groaning. We're waiting eagerly the time when God comes back for us. And notice, uh, look at the different phrases. I, I think it's good to. Verse 19, the revealing of the sons of God when Christ who is our life, is revealed, then we also will be revealed with Him in glory, Colossians says. We're waiting eagerly for that day. Or as he calls it in verse 18, the glory that's to be revealed to us. Or in verse 21, the glory of the children of God. Or verse 23, our adoption as sons. Or in verse 25, or I should say verse 23 again right at the end, the redemption of our body. Now, not only is nature not what it should be and what it will be, and the creation itself is groaning, but our bodies, we're waiting. Our adoption as sons, we're re waiting the redemption of our body. Now, in one sense, our bodies have been redeemed. Uh, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says. It is finished, Jesus said. In one sense, our salvation is complete. And our adoption, we have been adopted as sons, and we can cry out, Abba, Father. But in another sense, we're awaiting, verse 23, we're waiting eagerly for the completion of our adoption. We're waiting eagerly for the redemption, the full redemption of our body. And in the meantime, our bodies are decaying. Our outer man is decaying, the Scripture says. And so we wait eagerly for that day when He will set things right. And the Scripture calls this hope. Verse 24, 
In hope we have been saved. Somebody says, what are you saved by? And someone might answer, by grace, and be absolutely right. What are you saved by? By faith, and you'd be absolutely right. But often, I don't think you'd hear very many people say we're saved by hope, but we are saved by hope. Hope in Scripture is faith looking forward. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Now this is the context he's setting for our text. And hope is something that looks ahead with certainty. Hope does not in any way uh, preclude perseverance. In fact, the reason I even bring that up is that I often hear Christians, and there's a whole tone among many Christians that to become too future-oriented, to worry too much about the future, to look ahead, to set your mind on things above even, don't become so heavenly-minded. I mean, we've got to live right here and now. And there's this emphasis that uh, you don't want to get too future-oriented because somehow that will cut down on your ability to live right here and now, presently. The Scripture doesn't teach that. In fact, the opposite is true. Look at that. uh, Look at verse 25. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know the challenges in your life, but I can tell you this. The more you look to the future hope, the more you keep your eyes on those things above, the more you focus on the coming of your Savior, the more ready you will be to face the challenge that God has put before you today. That's what perseverance is all about. This term is a rich term, verse 25, perseverance. And it comes from a compound. It's the idea of abiding. It's that great New Testament term, abide, but it's strengthened and intensified. So we hang in there, we remain, and it's intensified with a prefix that means under. God has called us to live in tough circumstances. We are suffering right now, the Scripture says, uh, in this age. We're not, we're not exempt from disease. We're not exempt from persecution. We're not, in fact, exempt from anything down here that is common to the lot of man. What we are to abide under, we're to persevere, and we're to persevere while we're eagerly awaiting the future glory. Now, that's the context, that's the tone, and this hope that we have is absolutely certain. I remind you of that because we use the term so differently uh, in English. You know, we we hope that it doesn't rain, but it does. We hope that our team wins, but they lose. You know, we're used to hopes that are dashed all the time. And even when we use it in a deeper sense, we hope the marriage works out, but we know that it may not. We hope for things that may or may not occur. But in Scripture, because scriptural hope is hope in God, it is absolutely certain. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. I'm quoting Hebrews 6, verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. My hope, 
that God will one day finish what he started in my life is absolutely certain because my forerunner, Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand of the Father. I've got the first fruits of the Spirit right now, and I've got the Son of God seated at the right hand of God. And my hope is absolutely certain, and yours is too, Christian. And we should enjoy that. Now, that's the context. Look at verse 26 where he says, and in the same way. Paul is not changing subjects here. This present suffering, looking forward to the future glory, in other words, our present condition and the Holy Spirit's role in this life and in our present situation, he wants to apply yet to another area, the area of prayer. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Let me just stop there. We don't know how to pray as we should. Now granted, we ought to pray and we do pray as Christians. And in fact, uh, one of the marks of a believer is that he says, Abba, Father. He knows his Father and he'll talk to his Father. But we don't know how to pray as we should. I mean, we can learn. That's true enough. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we should learn. We should study the prayers of Scripture. We should mull over the pattern of prayer that Jesus gave. Remember when they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. And he gave them what we often hear called the Lord's Prayer, but it really isn't his prayer. It's a pattern prayer for us. It's a, there's principles there. He said, come to the Father, your Father, with reverence, oh, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he gave, you remember, that great prayer that we rightfully use and pattern our prayers after. And you can find that question in the prayer in Luke 11. But that's not all he did. You remember he gave another story. He said, and then he gave a story about a guy coming to his friend at midnight, and he talked about persistence in prayer. And uh, he gave yet another story, and he talked about confidence in prayer. He said, you know, when your kids ask you for something, uh, you don't, you don't double-cross them. You don't trick them. If you, being evil, give good things to your kids, just think how confident you can be when you go to your father. And then, of course, uh, and I read from Luke 11, he principalized in this way, too. He said, I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. So we rightfully should learn how to pray. I mean, the disciples said, Lord, teach us, and he did. And we ought to learn, and we do learn. I mean, take a look at John 17. That's the Lord's Prayer, I think. The whole chapter is the Lord praying. And we can learn a lot from mulling over John 17. Or Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 3, when you have recorded for us the apostles' prayers, these are things we should study and mull over and learn from. And we will grow in our ability to pray. We do grow in our ability to pray. That's part of maturing in the Christian life. We get better at it. We become more fruitful, you might say, in our prayer life. Our prayer life begins to line up more with God the Son's prayer life. And I might add, God the Spirit's 
prayer life because that's what our text is talking about. As we spend time with him and as we mull this over, and I think if ever the adage applied, you know, practice makes perfect. Those who really give themselves to prayer become better at prayer. Those who are really burdened to pray and do pray uh, become better at prayer. But having said all that, and that needs to be said, I think, I think we, that you can't read the Scripture without seeing God's desire for us to pray. But having said all that, practice does not make perfect. In fact, the more you pray the more you sense what verse 26 says. We don't know how to pray as we should. Those of you who perhaps have prayed the most sense this the most. It's the cocky, immature babe perhaps who thinks he knows how to pray. The more you pray, the more you realize, I don't know how to pray as I should. And there are many things that keep us from... uh, praying as we should, but aren't you glad? Look at verse 26. In the same way, even in this area, like every other area of life, even in this area, this most simple of things to talk to our Father, we don't really know how to do it as we should, but the Spirit helps our weakness. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings, Too deep for words. He comes to our aid. He helps our weakness. And that term he uses for weakness is kind of what we talked about last week when he was talking even about our resurrection body in in Corinthians 15. The seed is sown in weakness. It is raised in glory and power. We are weak. We are frail in the body. We are yet waiting that day when we'll be with him. And the Spirit knows that and he intercedes on our behalf. He helps. He comes to the aid of our weakness, our frailty, our uh, unredeemed state, if you will. I mean, you say, well, how are we weak? Well, physically. Think about it in prayer. We fall asleep, don't we? Well, maybe you never do. <laughs> the disciples did, didn't they? And... Uh, I think every honest Christian knows something of the frailty of our physical bodies when it comes to praying. We can't concentrate. We start to pray and our mind wanders off in every which way, huh? There'll be a day when that won't happen. But in the meantime, that's the way it is. We don't know how to pray as we should. Emotionally, we can get carried away this way and that way, and our prayer lives are subject to emotionalism. And our emotions can lead us down wrong pathways. We don't know how to pray as we should mentally. We are very finite. We don't even know what to pray for at times. It's to me, and I'm very helped when, you know, when, uh, by prayer lists and, and uh, promptings that we jot down things or when we print it up when we gather for a corporate prayer meeting. But just the same, doesn't it ever strike you that this ought not to be the way it ought to be? We ought not to have to have a list to know what to pray for. But we do. We're limited. We're finite intellectually. We don't have all the facts. We don't even know which way to pray. Two choices come and we don't know which fork in the road to pray for. 
Or we find out later, we were praying for this, and boy, am I glad God didn't give it to us because we were praying for the wrong thing. And we're very limited. We don't know how to pray as we should. And spiritually, sometimes we don't even sense the danger we're in. (laughs) Now, you think about it. We don't know how to pray as we should, but aren't you? Look at the verse and enjoy it. The Spirit also helps our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should, but He does. We fall asleep, but He doesn't. He who keeps Israel will neither neither slumber nor sleep. Turn to there, uh, Psalm 121. Just look at the psalm. Enjoy this, Psalm 121. Because uh, that's maybe, maybe, I mean, there's several verses in here that are fairly familiar, maybe come to your mind, but that one might be the most familiar. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. But you may think, well, that's just talking about Israel's keeper. What about me? Well, he applies it to all of us. I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? The psalmist says, I look up to the mountains. Is that where my help's going to come from? No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I don't pray to the local deity. I don't have to pray to the local spirits, this mountain or that mountain, as they did in those days. And as people and even misguided Christians are becoming increasingly geographically uh, praying for geographical areas rather than and binding spirits here and there and that sort of thing. Listen, we don't have to pray to local deities or worry about those things. We go right to the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Aren't you glad? We don't even know how to pray as we should, but He does. We might fall asleep, but He won't. I might tell someone I'll pray for them, and I try not to say I will pray for someone unless I mean it. But I have said to my shame, haven't you? I'll pray about that and forgotten. He never will. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Spirit's Intercession, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount 
to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. The triune God, Christian, is for you. You may not know how to pray as you should. The Holy Spirit does. He intercedes for you, for you, for me. Jesus, we're going to see in verse 34, is praying for us. Uh, He's always lives to make intercession for us. God is taking care of everything, Christian. Enjoy it. Bask in it. Revel in what God has done for you and for me. When you pray, know that though your prayer is frail and weak, there is one interceding for you who takes your prayers, so to speak, and translates them, if you will. He knows how to pray, and He intercedes for us. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Spirit's Intercession. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.